As I mentioned in the welcome, we've been studying the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to read from Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 23. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? But you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, and he divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is our teaching for today that we want to spend a few moments thinking about trying to work it into our own lives. This unimaginable life is what we have been talking about for the past six weeks. Today we need to make a note that that unimaginable life is only, only, only ever going to be possible through the continuous fuel of unimaginable grace. In a world that, I don't know, at least to me, seems to be hopelessly spiraling out of control more and more every day, I think we find ourselves longing, you know, for a hero, for someone who could finally come and put things right. And if you go back and you read through the literature across the centuries, history is full of stories about kings and and princes and champions. These are epic tales of of courage and sacrifice from come-from-behind victories. See, I think that Our longing for a hero is why so many people, including myself, love action-adventure movies. You see, what we want, actually what we need, is a Jason Bourne character. Somebody who is literally and virtually invisible, invincible. Somebody who always seems to be one step ahead of the bad guys. What? He outguns, he outfights, he outwits them all. He wins. And in this little parable about a strong man and his house, I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus steps forward and he says, I'm your man. I'm the one that you're looking for. So we're going to start at the end of the text today because the last verse of our text demands an answer. Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Are you a gatherer or are you a scatterer? Look, Jesus was on his way up 
to Jerusalem when he spoke these words for the big finale, the grand finale showdown, that final scene where we will see who wins the battle between good and evil that rages in this world. And here he is along the way. He encounters a man who's controlled by an evil spirit that has rendered him speechless. And in this little episode, there's a foreshadowing of the victory that is yet to come. And the demon flees and the man begins to speak. Now, I think that we struggle some in our day with the notion of personal evil beings, of, of demons. I mean, we live in this sophisticated scientific age. And so there's many people, Christians included, who have simply written these scenes off in Jesus' life as sort of pre-modern superstition. Back then, they just didn't understand or they couldn't explain and so they had to blame it on some unseen forces. No, we're smarter than they are. We know better. Except that I need you to make a note that the ancient world is not as primitive and naive as we sometimes imagine. I mean, the fact of the matter is they had words in their vocabulary for speech impediment, for damaged vocal cords, but this man and what Jesus did for him was more than just a little speech therapy. Something was controlling this man's mind and his will, and Jesus overpowered it. Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Are you a gatherer or are you a scatterer? Now, I want you to watch this crowd closely this morning, and I want you to see if you might find yourself in with them because there are three groups of people here there are gawkers there are scoffers and there are skeptics you see the gawkers they're the first group they 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 marvel they were simply amazed at what jesus did they might have even wondered out loud. They might have even said to one another, hey, you think this could be the, the Messiah, that, that figure, that, that great hero who we've grown up hearing stories about who would come to put the world right again? But, but that's as far as they got. There's still a lot of gawkers today. People who are interested in Jesus in hopes that, I don't know, he might be able to give them the peace that they're always looking for or, or maybe, maybe some tips on parenting that will guarantee that your kids will turn out right or maybe even a little practical marital advice when things aren't as good as they could be. But you can tell who's gawking Sometimes because their fascination with Jesus wears off and they wander away. So I've been scratching my head lately as we come out of this COVID moment in history because I think it has revealed some of that. Look, I'm not saying that everyone who hasn't come back to worship was just a gawker and that they've lost their fate. I'm not 
I'm not condemning anyone. I'm not lumping everybody all together because there are surely lots of reasons that people have. But I do suspect, I suspect that there were a goodly number of people who haven't been in worship for more than a year and have now discovered that their lives, without hearing the Jesus venture explained and applied it to them every week, without being in the company of, of fellow believers and singing and praying and sharing their life together without receiving the very body and blood of Jesus in the Lord's Supper and their lives are no different than they were before. And so they've lost interest and they've wandered off. Are you with Jesus or against him? Are you a gatherer or are you a scatterer? I said there were gawkers and there were scoffers and there were skeptics. And the skeptics comes next. And I'm going to tell you that this is the hardest part of this message. Because the scoffers and the skeptics are people that we have the most in common with. These are scribes and uh, Pharisees. These are professional church workers like me and Bible-believing, morally upright, conservative, go-to-church-every-Sunday religious people like you. Look, the scoffers were the community leaders who were afraid that Jesus was going to upset the status quo of their power and their control over their lives. Jesus came and he ate and he drank with tax collectors and with sinners. And Jesus claimed that this kingdom of God, that's the world put right, was actually with them in his person, in their very midst. And that it was for everyone. You see, God's grace was simply too radical. It was too unimaginable for them. And so somehow Jesus had to be dismissed. Somehow Jesus had to be explained away in order for them to maintain control over their lives. So can you see how we might sometimes be guilty of scoffing at God's unimaginable grace in order to be in control of our lives? I mean, look, we are much more comfortable with a do more, try harder religion than we are with the being poor, miserable sinners who are saved by grace alone. Look, the scoffers in Jesus' day had to fabricate an absurd explanation for Jesus' miracle. They said, by the power of Beelzebul, he drives out demons. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled over the years on exactly who Beelzebul was. And most have come to the conclusion that it was some sort of common nickname that was used to refer to the devil, which is exactly how Jesus takes it as he exposes the absurdity of their argument. Now look, maybe we don't go so far as to verbally put Jesus in league with Satan. But honestly, have we not fallen into the same silly notion that divide and conquer will actually save us? 
Look, Satan has absolutely no new tricks. It is the same boring nonsense repackaged again and again. And so we do it. We divide and we conquer in the church when we condescend to our culture as if we are not actually part of the problem. Which is why more and more people in our country are fed up with organized religion. We do it in our families. We divide and conquer all the way to the divorce court. And we're doing it in our nation. And Satan's sick back and he licks his chop and he waits for the whole thing to come crashing down. Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Are you a gatherer or are you a scatterer? There were gawkers and scoffers and skeptics. The skeptics wanted just one more sign, Jesus, one more sign to convince us that you are actually from heaven before they would go all in with Jesus. They tried to sit on the fence. They wanted to wait and to see. See, I'm a skeptic sometimes. I want to take Jesus in small doses. I want to pick and choose the parts of him that work for me at any given moment in time, but I, I'm not really, really wanting to go all in. I have too much to lose. I mean, really? Jesus, you want me to love my enemies and do good to those who, who hate me? You want me to be so certain that you're going to come again in glory one day that I I would be ridiculously and radically generous with what you've given me? No, seriously, Jesus, you want me to speak well and to talk respectfully and to seek to understand people that I do not like, that I disagree with, and who I am convinced are destroying the very fabric of our society. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Look, the kingdom of God is the world put right again. The kingdom of God is human beings. It's you and me put right with God, which gives us the peace that passes all understanding. The kingdom of God is human beings being put right with each other so that we might be able, even in a sinful, broken world, to forgive one another, even as we have been forgiven. The kingdom of God is human beings. It's you and me being put right with the whole creation where we work to protect it, where we work to preserve it, where we work to tame its brokenness until it's finally put right permanently when Jesus comes again. The kingdom of God is exactly what the gawkers and the scoffers and the skeptics in our text thought that they were a part of. But they will reject Jesus because he does not fit their preconceived notions of how God should act. Unimaginable grace is a hard pill to swallow. In fact, without a great big huge gulp of the Holy Spirit in the water of your baptism to wash it down, you will choke on it and you'll spit it out. 
Because everybody wants the world to be put right, but only on their own terms. And so there's people who imagine that what they really want is a God of justice and less mercy. And then there's those who think what they really want is a God of mercy with less justice. But it is only in Jesus on the cross where justice and mercy finally meet and this unimaginable grace is poured out to restore us to the kingdom of God for which we were created. Are you with Jesus or against him? Are you a gatherer or a scatterer? The little parable Jesus told isn't that complicated. Satan is the strong man. He's fully armed with his lies and his temptations, and he's guarding the world as if it is his own to keep all of us under lock and key. But one stronger than Satan has come. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was born of the Virgin Mary, and Jesus broke into the strong man's house. And then from the womb to the tomb, Jesus trusted his heavenly father perfectly and he obeyed him flawlessly. And on the cross, Jesus crawled inside the devil's lair and he led and he laid seemingly dead and defeated. (laughs) And then the strongest man flexed his muscles And he rose from the dead and he exploded death once and for all. And he bound Satan and he plundered his house. Jesus carries out now one dead corpse after another. Because that's what we all are. And then he breathes the Holy Spirit into our lungs and we spring back to life. It's a new life. It's a forgiven life. It's an eternal life. Remember your baptism. Listen to the words that I'm speaking. Eat his bread. Drink this cup. Come and worship to build up your strength so that you can fear and love and trust in God above all things for another week. Look, with Jesus, you have the power to conquer sin in your life. So which one are you going to work on this week? Maybe a sharp tongue? Maybe an angry, divisive attitude? Maybe it's irritation with your situation in life to the point of harming yourself? Is it fear of missing out that has you joining in on things that you know are not right? Is it an emptiness that throws you into the arms of a lover hoping that you'll you'll finally feel satisfied? Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Are you a gatherer or a scatterer? Because with Jesus, you can conquer sin. With Jesus, even death cannot harm you. With Jesus, you can poke the devil in the eye and tell him where to put his lies and his temptations. With Jesus, you can be a gatherer this week. One whose light, whose life shines with the brightness of the forgiveness of sins that draws others to the cross.
You can be humbly bold. You can be content and confident. I'd like to send you out of here today to talk with each other about what that might look like this week in your life. What are the words? What are the attitudes? What are the actions in your marriage with your kids, with your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors that announces, I am with Jesus? Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith to life everlasting. Amen.